And I would cry to the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know when I promised you that I would go anywhere, do anything. And I meant it then, and I mean it now in my 60s. <laughs> and once I know this is where the Lord is guiding, I will go at whatever the cost. voice of Dr. Michael Youssef, whom you will hear as this week's guest on First Person. Welcome, everyone. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Someone has said that our lives are like a series of short stories leading to a novel, or in this case, a biography, as we meet people each week who tell how God has shaped their life and led them to realize some unique purpose. Well, today, we'll meet a man whose Egyptian parents considered abortion, but decided to obey God and allow their son to be born. You'll hear Michael Youssef's story today. First Person is here every week at this time, but for some of you, this is the first broadcast as we welcome a number of new stations and listeners today. Great to have you join us. I hope you'll tune in each week. All of our interviews, past and present, are archived online at firstpersoninterview.com. And you can interact with us through our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Born in Egypt, Dr. Michael Youssef is the founding pastor of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia. His radio and TV broadcasts leading the way are heard and seen around the globe. But his story is unique, and as we sat in his office, I asked him to start at the very beginning. Well, it has to start in the beginning because I, I almost did not have a beginning um, in the sense that um, I was number seven in my family, and when my mother found out about my pregnancy, a team of two or three doctors told her that she should not go through with the pregnancy because her health is not uh, quite up to having another baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I am uh, so grateful to the pastor of our church who, when uh, they consulted with him, and he basically did not say anything, but he had a next day he came and told him that he was totally disturbed about it in terms of whoever is going to be he or she uh, is going to serve a purpose for the Lord. And then he concluded by saying, if anything happens to you at the birth of the baby, then I'm really going to not be able to live with myself. Mm-hmm. For But because he was so certain that this is something of the Lord, uh, he was able to give them that message. And um, we did a little video and a story in a book and so forth about it. And uh, the most amazing part about this, and I'm going to come back and fill in the blank, that in uh, 2009, I was doing a very uh, uh, large, uh, wide evangelistic outreach in Alexandria, Egypt. Now, of course, you're you're forwarding 60-plus years. Right. And um, a man came up to me. He looked just like the pastor. And by the way, when I was a little boy, I was very fond of him and all the way through uh, the age of uh, 12 um, until he died. I, I, um, he was my favorite pastor, and later on I knew why. Uh, but somebody looked just like him. And uh, um, he was in the committee of pastors who were hosting the, the evangelistic outreach in this big tent in Alexandria, Egypt. And I found out he's his son. Is that right? And he's a pastor in Alexandria. Yeah. And I said, you know, your father saved my life. He said, we know the story. That, yeah, we know it well. I, I said, every do. time we watch you on television, <laughs> we thank God for our dad that uh, he had the courage to do that. So you were born into a Christian family right. in Egypt. Yes. But how, did you, how was it you came to the States then? Tell me that story. Well, many people don't know that Egypt was a Christian nation for 600 years. 
until the Arab Islamic invasion in the middle of the 600s. But even today, between 12 to 15 million Christians in Egypt still, and uh, maybe a million or two are evangelicals. The rest are Orthodox and Catholics. Uh, so I grew up basically in an evangelical home where we had the family altar every night. Uh, but I did rebel as a teenager and walked away uh, on the faith of my parents. But then the Lord brought me back in a, some wonderful way. And, um, and then at the age of 19, I really wanted to leave. the. I wanted to escape because uh, things were really bad. Six-day war broke. And uh, things were really, really dark, as dark as they can get to any... So this is about 1967. 67, 68. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And things really got bad, and I wanted to escape. And literally, ultimately, I escaped with the clothes on my back. Why was that necessary? Well, the the army conscription and the uh, whole war with Israel and uh, You would have been pressed into service. Oh, yes. And Nasser basically was conscripting um, young men who, when they get conscripted, they never leave. They stay. Uh, there's no limit, time limit, until they defeat Israel. That was the mm-hmm. the idea. Yeah. And I felt that if I'm called to serve God, I've got to do something. And um, so I prayed, and really supernaturally God intervened. As I said, I've written the whole thing in a book called Trust and Obey. Yeah, we'll, we'll put links to the book at the end of the program today. Yeah. I want listeners to be able to see that and read sure, that. Sure, because it's a, it's really an amazing story of God's intervention. Uh, and if it wasn't for that supernatural intervention, in that 10-second intervention, I would have been dead by now. Mm. Again, it's a long story. So uh, God sent the right person at the right time, and uh, ultimately I escaped uh, to Beirut. I went to Lebanon, and there I was for six months. And but from you're 19 there, years old. Yes. You must have been scared at some level uh, of the uncertainty of that. Well, you know, I must admit, uh, I, I can understand your question, but I wasn't. I really, uh, it was more scary to stay than to go. Okay. And one of the things being brought up in Christian home to, with all the scripture and the understanding and how Abraham was called of God, and, and so that was always resonating with me. And I said, God is going to meet me on the other side. He's going to take care of me. And there was just such confidence in the Lord at that very early age, not knowing what's on the other side. And he did provide. And when you left, you probably were thinking, I may not be able to ever come back. That's exactly right. In fact, I would not have been able to go back, and I was not able to go back for about eight, nine years uh, until things changed. Nasser died, mm-hmm. so that came on the scene. But you were saying goodbye to your family then. I did. In fact, uh, we were uh, uh, part of the part of that intervention. Not the biggest story, but this is a, a sidebar, as it were. Is that if I did not leave at that on that day, I would never have been able to leave. After I got the supernatural intervention of God to leave to be able to get an exit visa, and so I went to a friend in the airline business, and he said, "We have fifty people waitlisted." And I said, but I've got to leave this day. He said, the only thing I can do is I'll put your name on the top of the list. But I can assure you, there will be no available seats. We're overbooked. And uh, so uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, we went to the airport. Three of my older siblings were with me, not knowing whether they were going to come home that day uh, or, or leave. When my name was called, there was only one seat. One seat on that plane. And if I did not get on that one seat, 
I would not be here talking to you today. So I always look back at what God has done, and I get greatly encouraged. I said, he who began a good work is able to bring it to completion. It's so, a remarkable story. Yeah. How did you end up then from Beirut to the States? Was there anything in between? Yes, there was Australia in between. And initially, actually, my destination was going to be Sydney because I could not come to the States. I wanted to come to the United States, but as soon as the Six-Day War broke between Egypt and Israel in '67, the American embassy closed. And so the only place was open for me was Australia. But then I couldn't get out of the country to go to Australia, so I was able to go to Beirut first. And from there, uh, the Australian embassy was able to get me to Sydney. And there I worked uh, for a couple of years, studied uh, part-time at, at night and, st- and got my... Um, qualification uh, up, and then I enrolled in seminary in Sydney. When you came to the States, uh, talk talk about that experience and, and your first impressions and what sure. did you do? And- uh, you know, when I completed my seminary training and was ordained in Sydney, uh, married a wonderful, wonderful redhead Australian, and I felt that, and we had two kids already, and I really thought that was, um, that's where I'm, God called me, that thing about America was not realistic, and so... Had you ever been to America at that point? No. Not even for a visit? No. When I got to Australia, I stayed in Australia. I didn't (laughs) go anywhere else. Uh, I was serving in a church um, outside of Sydney, Uh, but then the opportunity came for me to come and do a graduate degree uh, with Dr. Professor Paul Hebert, who now went to be with the Lord, Mm -hmm. uh, was at Fuller at the time, and then he went to um, Deerfield, um, a wonderful, godly uh, man. Uh, I enjoyed uh, working under him, study under him. And so when we came to the United States, I was, um, uh, and before actually went back, backtrack to Sydney, I met a man by the name of John Haggai who wanted me to come to Atlanta and work with him. And I said, no, I already made plans to go to um, study uh, with Professor Hebert and then come back to Sydney because I had a job opening. And uh, the Archbishop of Sydney, a wonderful godly man by the name of um, Archbishop Sir Marcus Lone, uh, he was the Archbishop of Sydney and, and a great evangelist at heart and loves the Lord. And he said, I have this place for you when you come back. Uh, to um, uh, And then uh, as I got invited to come to Atlanta, Georgia, to work for the Haggai Institute. Uh, I, um, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, of course, <laughs> condensing everything yes, because it took us yeah. months of prayer and right. fasting and seeking right. the mind of God and realized that this is where the Lord has called us, despite mm-hmm. the fact that we did not plan it, nor did we want it, really. And so we moved to Atlanta in uh, end of 78, beginning of 79. Uh, I was announced the heir, heir apparent and to the to the founder, and um, but I did not really feel that that was it. God kept putting that initial burden in my heart that I felt when I was uh, praying about escaping from Egypt, about the consistent preaching and teaching ministry. And so, after ten years of traveling and speaking around the world, uh, God laid it on my heart to start a small church here in Atlanta, Georgia. That was 25 years ago. There's much more to the story of Dr. Michael Youssef, and we'll get to it in the second half of today's edition of First Person. Next week, a dramatic story of a Hindu man who found salvation and healing through Christ. As I was trying to set myself on fire, my 
dad came and grabbed me and he said son you don't have to do that here and uh, he shared the gospel with me that day and uh, when i prayed and asked the lord there was a sense of peace you know today he's an evangelist with a worldwide ministry dr ratnasaja next time on first person My guest on First Person today is Dr. Michael Youssef, pastor, rector of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, Georgia. Of course, leading the way is the media ministry, radio and television. God has uh, unmistakably led you in life to do what you do. And I'm just thinking back on your story we heard a few moments ago about how long it took and the the seemingly detours that you took to get yeah. where God wanted you. But still, he was faithful to that to that call and you were faithful to his call. Yes. Sometimes I, I, I feel that uh, a little bit like Joseph, where when he was young, God gave him a dream. And uh, he didn't really know at the time, nor did I. Uh, what is that dream of reaching the globe? I remember I was 18 years old and um, standing in a Christian bookstore. And a man who now lives in Toronto asked me the question, you know, what do you think God is calling you to do? I said, he's calling me to a global ministry. Now, I remember an 18-year-old boy yeah. in Egypt saying, God called me to... Yes, and, and it's almost... I feel like the mistake that Joseph made told his brothers about his dreams. Right. But um, did not know how, what, where, any of this. And the reason I, it's so fresh in my mind, I was visiting Toronto not so long ago, and he picked me up at the airport, and he reminded me of that conversation that was well over 35, 30, 40 years ago. And, uh, and so... Um, the details of how God uh, worked up the plan and where he took me. And uh, I always um, say, if if I came to the United States right away without going to Australia, I wouldn't have had the joy of uh, meeting my wife, uh, to whom I've been married 41 years now. And uh, uh, all of the things that had happened in, in my life, in fact, we have now, we have a huge ministry in Australia. Do you really? Far bigger than I, have, I would have had if I stayed there. We are on 550 radio stations, four television networks, and uh, I'm constantly going to Australia holding rallies for listeners and viewers. Isn't that just like God, though? It's amazing. It's amazing, and it will never cease to amaze me. I'm in my, my mid-60s, and I'm just not going to ever cease to be amazed by God. Because he is an amazing God, and and that's why the title of this book is trust of my life is trust and obey. Mm-hmm. Once you trust God, and then you obey Him, He'll take care of the details. Right. So, Your life story can be so inspiring to all of us because we all go through those valleys, we sure. all go through those uncertainties, those moments when it seems like the dream is dead. Yes. And yet, I'm sure, as you said, there was much prayer and fasting that yeah. went into uh, those years. Yep. Uh, they weren't exactly exile years, but they were they were sure. years that I'm sure that you were. It's in the back of your mind, you yes. know, Lord. What is it? Am I supposed to follow that? That's right. That initial calling. So, yes. and that that really teaches us a lot. Yeah, and 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 there are times of doubts too. I mean, um, I often tell people doubt is not a sin. Staying in doubt it will lead you to sin. Right. Or uh, did I hear the Lord right? Did I uh, get that right? Did I really understand this? And so those moments will always come to all of us, mm-hmm. even though I was certain deep down that that was I'm following the Lord's mm-hmm. will. Uh, so uh, basically, uh, what we have done when we started with this church, uh, literally 28 adults, 
25 years ago, and you can see here in Atlanta what God has done. By the way, we are sitting in the church now. We are. Which is a magnificent structure, I mean, beautiful cathedral, really. Amazing. God it's, provides. I, I would not have dreamed, not even of 1% of what he has provided, but it became the motto of all of our church team here, the Church of the Apostles, all the pastoral team, uh, the leading the way team, trust and obey. Mm-hmm. It's become not just uh, the story of my life, a story of the church, and it's really the story of the faithfulness yeah. of God. You started to talk about the global aspect of leading the way, your media ministry. Yeah. You mentioned Australia, but you, yeah. you are global. I mean, you're everywhere, with, yeah. and God has opened doors. Yes. Talk about the response, and talk about what goes on in your heart and mind when you know that you're addressing that worldwide audience. Yeah. And again, this is, uh, this is the, all these tips that have been taken that literally has nothing to do with me. I mean, uh, it sounds, uh, this is not false humility. It's the absolute truth. Uh, I didn't want to be on the media. God dragged me into the radio first, and then he dragged me onto television. <laughs> I mean, it's the amazing thing when people know the whole story um, of how we started on Moody Station here uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Back then it was called WAFS. I remember. And mm-hmm. we started there in the evening with Joe Emmert. And yeah. then... Uh, and I remember this this preacher with the, with a strange-sounding name accent, to our yeah. ears. <laughs> An accent. <laughs> so here we are, and, and then God... Now we are in 190 countries, 20 different languages. We're just about to add two more. It'll be 22 languages. We broadcast over 4,000 times a week, 4,000 times a week around the world. And uh, to top it all, I joked, and my wife often said, you'll never be on television. And I said, honey, I said, I'll never, I don't want to be on television. It's never been the desire of my heart. And then a sweet, godly, lovely man that many of your audience probably will remember the name by the name of Ben Hayden. Oh, of course. He was Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga up the road here. He calls me on one day, Friday morning, I'll never forget it, 10 o'clock. And uh, he said, my name is Ben Hayden. Does the name mean anything to you? I said, of course. I said, you have blessed the Christian community. Changed so lives. Changed lives. Program. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's still going, by the way. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, which by my encouragement, because he came in here, emotional, said, for two and a half years, God has been telling me to give you my television ministry. And literally, I felt the room was turning around on, around me, and I said, now, Ben, you don't understand. My wife says, we'd be on television over my dead body. <laughs> ben said, that's your problem. <laughs> I delivered the message. Well, six months of prayer and seeking God, and realized, of course, um, I was making that decision based on emotions and based on judging, you know, mm-hmm. the whole television ministry. Mm-hmm. But uh, God had a different plan, yeah. and it's not that I would be on television in the United States, but really God had a plan that we would have our own television station that's broadcasting the gospel twenty-four-seven, called Kingdom Sat, in all of the Arab world, hundred and sixty million homes. We are on the only Christian channel on an Arab satellite that's reaching, penetrating as deep as Iran and Saudi Arabia and Morocco, as well as Europe. All right, so when you look back mm. and you realize that God ordained that you would be born in Egypt yes. to faithful parents yes. who would, first of all, agree that you should be born exactly. when the doctor was saying otherwise, yes. and that you would be prepared and nurtured in that home of faith mm. and then step out in faith on your own, you have right. to realize that 
It was God. There's no question. <laughs> I mean, who else? It wouldn't be even. You couldn't write this story. It, it was, <laughs> not even one percent. Not even an iota of it was me or anybody else. It was all God. And and truly, uh, uh, I sit here, you know, fifty years later, and I see that it was all His hand. Yeah. But someone's listening. Say, yeah, that's Doctor Michael Youssef. Yeah. I'm me. Right. You know, I, I don't have that ability. I don't have that gift that he has. Will God lead me? Well, goodness gracious, if they only know that it wasn't many years ago, I couldn't even put two sentences together. They wouldn't make that statement. <laughs> <laughs> the average person would be far more eloquent uh, than I was in my 20s, in my late teens and early 20s. Uh, I had to literally teach myself to speak and 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 get to this point but even if it's not speaking yes it's trusting and obeying sure regardless of what it is right well if if if, if it takes if that's all it takes literally to trust and obey and god would have a different plan for everyone and they don't all, he doesn't have the same plan for everybody but whatever plan he has for each of us uh, he he's required his he has one requirement you trust him, and then you obey him when the doors open. You walk through them. There's sometimes I did not walk, want to walk through these doors. Uh, I was uncertain. I was hesitant. And I would cry to the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know when I promised you back in the 60s that I would go anywhere, do anything. There is no price too high. And I meant it then, and I mean it now in my 60s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all I want to know is that's you and not the devil trying to detract me. And once I know this is where the Lord is guiding, I will go, and whatever the cost. Last question. Sure. What's God teaching you now, today? He is teaching me to keep on trusting and obeying because, you see, I remember uh, a dear friend of mine, many uh, evangelicals would know the name John Stott. Um, I attended uh, his memorial service. He did. Yeah. Well, he, he was a dear friend of mine. He was a mentor, and we spent a lot of time together. And we were talking about pride, and he said, uh, and he was, of course, a bit older than me, and, and he said something. I said, John, you mean you struggle with pride at this age? He said, brother, you'll struggle, struggle with pride all of your life, and it gets worse when you get older. And so now that I'm in that age uh, bracket, I am constantly uh, pouring that uh, pride as a drink offering uh, to the Lord and saying, okay, I am all I want to do is trust and obey until I see you face to face. I never tire of hearing how God takes the circumstances of life and uses every detail, every act of obedience to bring honor and glory to his name. Dr. Michael Youssef's story is told in more detail in his book, Trust and Obey, a story of God's faithfulness. And you'll find a link to his book and his broadcast ministry leading the way on our website, firstpersoninterview.com. As was mentioned, he's also the founding pastor of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, and you'll find all this information online at firstpersoninterview.com. A special welcome this week to many new listeners who are joining us through Moody Radio. As many of you know, I spent several decades at Moody in Chicago, and it's an honor to be back on the air with these stations. I feel right at home here. I'd love to hear from you this week. You can reach us through our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. A couple of additional features of the website is the audio archive of past programs, so if you are new to First Person, you can go back and listen to any previous interview at firstpersoninterview.com. 
Next week, you'll meet a former Hindu from India who survived polio and an attempted suicide to serve Christ today. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.